Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. And so when, when you have a market like this that's disproportionately affected and you're seeing negative comps, significantly negative comps in large portions of, of our promotional business and, and some other sector, sectors, the real question that always goes through your mind is, is where's the bottom? And the second question that goes through your mind is how long does it take for it to come back? And that thought process kind of underlines the way we think about transactions from a structural perspective. The voice you heard is that of Lance Steer, and today we're talking about three very important trending topics. Number one is the rise of comfort food. The Wall Street Journal reported that comfort foods have made a comeback in the coronavirus age, and the demand for small luxuries like food and candy are at an all-time high, which also includes the confidence and security we have at this time in brands we trust. And there's no one better to address this topic than one of North America's largest confectionery companies. The second critical topic we chat about is this shifting landscape that's happening right beneath us due to heightened merger and acquisition activity. Lance is an expert in M&A. It's his passion, as it will be evident to you as you listen. As we know, mergers and acquisitions are highly active in a depressed economy. And now, it's no longer just suppliers who are interested in M&A, but distributors as well. As we've seen mergers and acquisitions increase in recent years on the distributor side too. Nassau is a bellwether for both topics. Even if you're not interested in M&A for your future, you'll value Lance's insight into our third topic, successful negotiation strategies. About our guest, Lance Steer is an owner of Nassau Candy. Now, if you haven't heard of Nassau, they're one of those sleeping giants in our industry, yet with a very strong partner business model. Nassau was founded in 1920 as a supplier in New York City to those old school ice cream parlors and soda fountain shops. And today, They have over 1,100 associates in four divisions. Number one, a specialty candy division. Two, mass market as one of the largest suppliers of private label confectionery products in North America, working with all the major chains. Number three, gourmet and natural foods business, working with thousands of specialty grocers. Number four, their customization business, which most of you are familiar with through companies like Chocolate Inn and Lanco. And some breaking news announced just this week, the addition of Mrs. Fields. The addition of the Mrs. Fields brand is a continuation of their ongoing partner brand strategy with brands like Godiva, M&M's, Jelly Belly, and Lent. As CEO of NC Custom, Nassau Candy's customization business, Lance has led organic and M&A growth throughout the U.S. and Canada, including the acquisitions of Chocolate Inn, Taylor & Grant, A La Carte, Plague, Amusements, Lanco, Stitches & View SPD Shoreline, and Pennsylvania Dutch, forming a vertically integrated top 40 ASI supplier, making them the largest food supplier in the promo industry with a growing hard goods apparel and personal care product line. At Nassau, Lance is head of business development and leads M&A strategy and financing. He was previously a private equity investor with Payne & Partners and Wellspring Capital and completed investments in the consumer food and retail sectors, investing over $1 billion of equity capital. Prior to entering private equity, he was an investment banker at Lehman Brothers, where he completed over $20 billion of M&A LBO transactions in food, retail, and consumer. Now you can see why I'm excited to have Lance on the SKUcast today to talk with us not only about the rise of comfort food and M&A, but also the impact of private equity, the negotiation of the deal, 
and the vital importance of strategic partnerships now more than ever. Real quick, you might have heard that we opened registration for SKUCon 2021, featuring a truly astounding lineup of speakers, including Seth Godin and Anne Hanley and many other emerging voices that I'm so proud to have join us. We have been overwhelmed by the response so far. You can learn more and secure your ticket at skewcon.com. Now, here's my conversation with Lance, where we're in the middle of a chat about how the lines are blurring between retail and promo from a product development perspective. Lance is reflecting on what they see working in retail that crosses over into promotional products. We have a saying in, in our retail businesses that collections sell. And it's the way we think, in, in especially in our travel and resort businesses. Yeah, I love that. Is you're going to sell a, and it's true, by the way, in our travel and resort business called amusements. And that business, what you'll see is that if you're selling, you know, a New York City collection or a Las Vegas collection, and you have a Las Vegas, well, a well-designed um, Las Vegas mug with a well-designed Las Vegas hat with a well-designed Las Vegas shirt with a confectionery item, reading Las Vegas, et cetera, what you'll see is that it's well curated and well designed. The the end user customer is going to, and we're not the retailer, but the end user customer, you'll, you'll notice from your shop, shopping trends, will pick up, you know, multiple items because they'll buy the shirt that matches the hat and, and it's just bundling. And so the idea is that, that collections sell and we're starting to bring that same concept in promotional categories as we think about building out concepts, particularly as we see kits start to emerge, you know, we're using our design skills to kind of build those thematic stories. And I think that that's going to be a big idea here is we kind of see distributors think more and more about kidding and more and more about, you know, effectively building mini collections inside, inside yeah, the project. That's great. Where have you seen the most significant growth with all of these respective brands? You're seeing trends in the market and obviously hopping on a lot of those, but what are you, where are you seeing growth? Yeah, sure. So, so, so let's let's take a step back. In, in the current market condition, um, we're seeing a very similar experience um, in the specialty confectionery and food businesses that you saw um, after the most recent recession that I remember, two thousand eight. What, what you're seeing is a very similar thing. So, in the gourmet food business, you know, rather than folks going out to restaurants, they're dining at home. So, for example, you know, people are grabbing a. I, I've given the example, you know, how how I think about it. Which is in the casual dining space, you know, here to four, you may have gone to a food service restaurant, a casual dining restaurant, and for I don't know, 80 bucks, you know, you, you feed your family. And so you buy pasta, you buy a sauce, you get an appetizer, et cetera. And, and that's kind of the cost of the family. What we're seeing in our gourmet food business is people are going to the local grocer, which is great. They're buying a better sauce, like a, a Rayos pasta sauce, a better pasta. Right. You know, and, and maybe a cheese item and, and maybe a sausage item. And together they come home and then for you know 20 bucks, they have an unbelievable restaurant yeah. quality meal. That's a great point, right? And, and, and that's what we're seeing. So our gourmet food business has, has been trending exceptionally strong, thank God, um, during this period for reasons like that. And, and, and so that's what we're seeing in our specialty food business. And then in our confectionery business, you know, what 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 you're seeing is candy's a comfort food, right? So for we, right. we call it an affordable indulgence. Yeah. So for a couple bucks, you know, you, you can buy a chocolate bar or you can buy you know, some gummies or, or something like that. And it's an affordable indulgence. So we're actually seeing our confectionery business also um, quite strong in this period. Um, again, similar to what we saw in, in, in sort of the 08, 08 time period. So our, our, our mass business is doing great. 
I would say to you, the, um, the confectionery retail store, the specialty store, you know, in a lot of states, the, the market was closed. So you had, you know, um, a business that, that was, you know, was, was running below where, where it should have been. We're seeing those businesses come back as, as the market yeah. reopens. Because I think the specialty candy trends um, at a high level and the specialty markets really are, are, are about experience and entertainment. So you saw this with Dylan's Candy Bar as Dylan's Candy Bar became an iconic destination in New York City. Um, you saw this with its sugar as they just opened up you know, their American Dream Store. You've seen this at Disney. You've seen this at Universal. You know, places that create confectionaries and experience and yeah. where people are and are enjoying the products. You've seen this with Candytopia, which was a big, you know, candy yeah. traveling show, et cetera. People love engaging with candy. As a, like I said, it's a fun, affordable indulgence. It's fun, just fun. We've seen that trend where people are, where, where retailers are focused on experience. That's been a, a sort of growth trend for us over the last X years, and, 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 and I expect to see that, you know, as, as the world continues, continues to open. And, and the, the other thing that, you know, we're seeing growth on um, in sort of today's world, it has been, as you touched on it, Bobby, our, our, our PPE category, you know, fortunately through our Lanco business, um, we are a manufacturer of sanitizer and, and other health items, lip balm, et cetera. And so we, we've seen, and apparel, uh, gators particularly, but, but what we've seen in our business has been um, some nice growth in, in, in those PPE categories as well. So all of that good stuff um, combined has luckily put us on, on stable footing in, in the, you know, a challenging period. Yeah. Your business and you in particular are at this apex of some exciting things that are happening in, in, in the market and the business in general. And one is all the comfort food, as you mentioned, the affordable indulgences and PPE, and you've got this incredible uh, repertoire or this, this, this group of brands that are ideal for the time in which we live. But then shifting gears a little bit over to something that you've invested your career in is the mergers and acquisitions opportunities. Um, before we move into that, though, is there anything else you wanted to comment on about where the market is now and what op other opportunities? Because I love your comment about, about all of this so far. Yeah, no, thanks, Bobby. You know, I, I would say to you that where I see the market going is a couple of things, and I'll, I'll relate specifically to the promotional products market. I know we've talked about a lot in our business. I think the big stuff going on right now is going to be a couple of things. Number one is the consumer is at home, so the customer's at home. So I, I think a big idea in the next, you know, we're working on this hard, and I think you'll see more and more of it is just you know, using food um, as part of you know, in entertainment. So for example, baking kits or you know, cheese and, and sausage sets or, or, or stuff like that. I, I think you're going to see more and more of that. People are looking at food as a way to kind of have a, a nice little release from, from everything else going on. And, and I think, and we're seeing that by the way, in our fourth quarter gifting business, which, which is doing, doing well so far. Um, we're seeing a lot of kidding going on. Um, the second big thing I would point to, which we'll touch on the M&A topic, is we spend a lot of time consolidating various businesses within the category, one of the visions being that distributors really want partners that are able to service them across multiple disciplines. But, you know, we tried to do it in, in a thoughtful way where I really, you know, I spent a lot of time saying, you know, we don't want to be everything to everybody, but we want to be experts in the things that we do because we want to be really good partners. So I think the other big idea going on right now is, is obviously consolidation, which we'll get to in a second, and then being able to offer up those, you know, we'll call them kidding solutions where you know, we're able to combine an apparel item with a drinker item with um, you know, a confectioner item and, and do that all in-house so that a distributor is not needing to place multiple POs and, and do that. They can focus on yeah. 
what they really enjoy focusing on, which is creating and developing and, and, and selling. So I'd say that's the, the second big idea. And the yeah. third big idea, which we're seeing across, you know, our business, and you'll see this at, at retail as well, has been just the strength of brands. I think, you know, when, when, when the market, when, when the world is crazy, people go back to things that they're comfortable with, whether it's nostalgia brands or brands they historically just are comfortable with. Right. Um, and, and, and so we've seen that. And so one of the things that we've leaned on, leaned in on as a company is just our brand partnership. So we were, you know, we, we've, we've been in the partner brand business for a while. We've been, you know, brand partners in the promotional products category. We could dive a lint um, and jelly belly. And then most recently um, in the past year or so, we announced a major brand partnership with Eminem Mars, where we are their exclusive promotional products arm. And, and, and we're, we're seeing ni- nice growth there. And, and like I said, I think, I think the reason for that is that when the world is crazy, people are looking for sort of, you know, um, receives. And, and I think, you know, strong brands provide that. And I think you'll see that from us going forward, category dependent. I think you'll see more and more of those sort of partnerships. Yeah, that's a great reflection. And I'm stitching together uh, multiple thoughts that you've shared because I, I love what you said before we hit record about distributors and you recognizing the strength of distributors and what they do and that they're your marketing partners and that they're marketing experts. But you've mentioned multiple things here, um, stitching them together. Number one, collections sell. Number two, affordable indulgences. Number three, experiences sell. Four is the strength and comfort of brands, which I've not thought about it in that context of the strength, but also the comfort of brands, and then just simplifying the complexity. There's so much for us to do with that as distributors. There's so much opportunity now. In fact, there's been so many challenges and so many problems, and we've we've all been through this incredible season, but there are also these amazing opportunities out there. Shifting gears now to M&A, and, and this is speaking again of market opportunities. Mergers and acquisitions, as I mentioned in my intro, are affecting distributors and suppliers today in a big way. Um, and it's sort of a topic that, that flies under the radar, but it's so vital because there are shifts, I think, in the foundation of our industry that are happening due to M&A, due to private equity and things like that. But part of my job as the interviewer is to ask the dumb questions, which is not hard. So I'm going to act as a bridge to you and our audience on this critical subject because you have spent your entire career largely in mergers and acquisitions. It's a large part of what you do as a daily part of your work there at NASA. And so you focused on this and made it a part of your growth strategy. So it's obvious why a buyer's, why it's a buyer's market with M&A right now. But what makes this season different than recessions in the past? So, so I, I would make a lot of my thoughts on M&A and how we're approaching as a company um, analogous to, to 2008. And so when you have a market like this that's sort of disproportionately affected and you're seeing negative comps, significantly negative comps in large portions of our promotional business and some other sectors, the real question that always goes through your mind is, is where's the bottom? And the second question that goes through your mind is how long does it take for it to come back? And that thought process kind of underlines the way we think about transactions from a structural perspective. So I think the way to think about this is, is structurally, that's how we think about, about deals. Um, in terms of the, the other, the softer spot here, what I would say to you is that while you might call it a buyer's market, quote unquote, you're also looking for partners who you know that the sledding is not going to be easy over the next you know, a couple months or, or years, et cetera. 
you need partners who have kind of the intestinal fortitude to go through that process with you. Because whether it's the promotional market or, or you know, some other businesses that we're in, like food service business, I don't know when you know, the corporate cafeterias are opening up. I don't know when you're going to see marketing spend like you did back in, in 19. Um, but I do know that at some point you will. And, and I know that this is a, is a team game. And I know that, you know, one of, one of the requirements there is finding partners who have a similar approach. So, for example, while we want to use this time period to um, retool and focus on our businesses in an M&A context, if we're requiring a company or partnering with a company, I also want to sit down with the principal and say, you know, how do we, how do we kind of figure this thing out together? You know, what are the opportunities that you see within, within your, your subcategory? And then how do, you know, how do we utilize the resources we have to, to be efficient, to be lean? Because we're trying to you know, all operate you know, as efficiently and leanly as we can right now. But also, how do we position ourselves for as this market comes back to, 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 to be a well-positioned company to take advantage of, of, of that market coming back? And frankly, how do we lean into our customer relationships right now? We can show them how important we are to them. So we have, you know, a real reason to be part of, of, that, of that mix. Because what I think is going to happen, Bobby, and, and this is something that we think a lot about in, in, in M&A, and I think, you know, you're going to see it in the promotional market, is I think you're going to see just an increasing, and I think you've seen this, but an increasing bifurcation between, you know, scaled suppliers, scaled distributors, and, and smaller, sm smaller outfits. And, and I think the key for us is going to be saying, you know, which, which businesses, you know, which companies have, you know, a real reason to, 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 to exist. And I would say to you that one of my goals as a company, you know, for our company, is to be able to say that, say that you know, statement very clearly to our distributor partners, because we want to be, you know, on the side of the fence where we're partners for their growth. And, and as this category grows and evolves, and we would look for M&A partners who are exactly the same, who want to be part of, of that sort of evolving story. Yeah, there's a lot of heart in that in that reply, and I appreciate that because in my oversimplified mind, I often think of mergers and acquisitions as if big company comes in and just picks up the weak company. But what you're really looking for is strength. You're looking for the fortitude of these companies um, and and their vision. It's not as if you're just picking off weak organizations. And I can really appreciate uh, the wisdom in that. Yeah, it's also it's also about partnership, Bobby. I want to comment on that because. You know, when, when I started my career, I, I remember it very vividly. I, I started my career in investment banking and private equity. And I remember very vividly, I was probably 24, and I was very proud of myself that when I was going for a private equity job, the partner who I was meeting with asked me to you know, build an LBO model, leverage buy a model on a piece of paper, and, and I did it for him. And, and I said to him, you know, more or less, am I, am I done? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He goes, well, Tell me about the business. You know, what are the reasons you want to acquire this company? It was challenging me in my investment thesis. And I gave him a bunch of stuff about the business and the competition, blah, blah, blah. And he goes to me, what about the people? <laughs> I was 24 at the time. I go, what do you mean, what about the people? And I gave some sort of, you know, not deep answer. And, and he says to me, Lance, the bottom of the page, which was the leverage buyout model, means nothing without the top portion of the page, which was this sort of the people in it and the stuff. And that lesson kind of stuck with me. So, wow. you know, we spend so much time looking at companies and meeting with companies, but 
if we can't build the right partnership and that DNA and that chemistry is not right, we're not doing the deal. I mean, I'll give you a great situation. During the last recession, you know, I went out to Wisconsin, actually. We're looking at a business, not in this category, but in a different category. And my dad and I sat down with, with the principals of the company. You know, on paper, it was a great deal for us. It was an interesting business. It would diversify you know, one of our businesses in, in a different sort of way. And we were pumped about it. I was pumped about it. Within 10 minutes of the meeting, my dad goes to me, looks at me, goes, Lance, the same lesson I got from, from my boss when I was in the investment business, is Lance, we're not doing this deal. <laughs> I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, I promise you that you're not going to want to work with these people for the long haul. This might be a good deal on paper, but this is not a good partner. We're not doing the deal. And that lesson you know, really stuck with me. And so yeah. every deal that, that we look at, it is so much, you know, the first thing is that the deal has to make financial sense for us and, and obviously for, for our partner. But, but, but once we get past that piece, it is so much about how are we actually going to do this? How are we going to make this happen? Yeah. And can we do this together? And I, I can't begin to tell you how much time we spend on culture and, and thinking through that, because if the if that part is not right, I don't really care what the numbers say on a piece of paper. We're not going to pursue it. That's so good. Can you speak a little to value add when it comes to what a buying company offers the seller? And maybe giving us an example with Nassau? Yeah, sure. You know, the first thing we offer is partnership. Look, I, I'm one of four boys. I'm, <laughs> I'm the oldest of four boys. And, uh, and I have a cousin uh, by the name of Jordan. So the, the five of us are kind of the second generation management team in, in, in the company. And then we have, you know, our dad and our uncle who are kind of the, the chairman and CEO. And, and then obviously we have a, a partner in the promotional products business for a very long time, David Miller, who's an unbelievable guy. This ex- exemplifies what I'm saying about a partner. I think David, David's been, and I have sort of worked hand in hand for the last 10 years every day. And, and he's a partner through and through, a friend and, and a partner, and someone's got just the right ethics, and just, he's an amazing guy. But um, amazing. But 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 I, I guess what I would say you know, from a partnership perspective is, what do we offer to a company? So I was saying the first thing we offer is is we're all in, right? So so we say you know we're going to move you know our company in X Y Z direction. <laughs> you got you know um, at, at the family management level, you know. I mentioned to you, my dad, my uncle, and, 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 the, and the boys um, kind of working together to execute whatever that, that might be. And then depending upon the specific sub-vertical, maybe it's promotional products in this case, you know, we've got partners like, like David Miller, who's just a rock star and, and his team, and, and we're all going to work hand in hand to make stuff happen. So, so I would say the first thing we offer, and obviously that, that's true for the rest of our team, uh, whether it's, you know, David or, 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 you know, Debbie Gasper runs our marketing department, you know, or, you know, we can go through all, all the different sub-disciplines, but, but the point is, you know, that's who we are. We're, we're a team that's going to work together to be your partner, and we'll understand your business, we'll get into it, we'll learn about it, and then we'll be there for you, you know, when you call it 5 a.m. or when you call it 10 p.m. or when you call it an issue or an opportunity, we're there. We're in your corner. So the first thing we offer is partnership. Um, the second thing we offer is, is resources, um, whether it's, you know, capital, Infrastructure, you know, we've been there, we, we've done this before, we have, you know, capital to invest and, and, and helping you, you know, un- unlock your ideas. You know, we, we, we say to entrepreneurs that one of our goals, and, and I've said this for a long time, my dad taught me this lesson as well, he said, you know, one of our goals in M&A is to free entrepreneurs or businesses to focus on, on their passion. But I'm really talking about entrepreneurs right now. So, so, so when I sit down with an entrepreneur, you know, one of the questions I ask him or her, um, is what's your passion? What do you love doing? What do you hate doing? 
because my goal is to be the yin to your yang. So, you know, some entrepreneurs would sit down and say, I love sales. I just love growing the company, but I really don't want to be involved in other stuff, you know, AP, AR, finance, you know, whatever it is. I say, fine, we got you. Our goal is to be the yin to your yang. And so we have the resources we, we can plug in to do that. But our goal is, is to sort of free you up to focus on passion. We've had other folks say, I absolutely love being a product developer. I want to create and develop products, but I don't really want to sell them. I, and, and so we've had all sorts of flavors in the partnership game. And, but, but the key is understanding what his or her passion is and then be, being the, you know, the yin to the yang. So being the, the other piece that, that can then you know, support, support that. And the third thing we offer in, in, in partnership is, is experience. You know, my dad and uncle have worked together to grow you know, Nassau Candy from, I mentioned you, from, from five team members to, to north of a thousand team members. And so we, we've seen the movies, you know, we've seen the movies, what it means to be a company of five people, 10 people, 50 people, 100 people. And each one of those movies takes different management skills. It takes different infrastructure. It takes different disciplines, et cetera. And, and not saying we're the best in every one of them, because we're not, but I would tell you that we, we've seen the movie. And we've navigated, you know, the different things that takes that are involved in building a business. So I, I would say experience is a big thing. And I would say the last thing that, that, that we really help on is, is strategy. Um, you know, one of my passions is, is M&A, you mentioned, but it also is strategy. You know, when, when David and I worked together to sort of craft out the chopping and strategy, you know, <laughs> we sat down and this is, like I said, 10, 10 plus years ago, and on a piece of paper, you know, we said, you know, right now, Chocolate Inn is a chocolate company. 75, this is in 2008 uh, or nine. 75% of our business is fourth quarter driven and gifting and, and products like that. 25% of our products is coins and, and bars. But what we're missing, a, a broader range of printing capabilities, a broader range of things that matter to, to our distributor partners. What, what, what David and I did was we sat down with a piece of paper and, and we studied our distributors and our customers. And we said, what are the heuristics that matter? What are the things that matter to our, our customers? And, and, and the answer to that question was they wanted faster lead times. They wanted more imprint options. They wanted stuff that didn't melt, you know, stuff like that. So, so the vision that Dave and I came up with first was to say, okay, in order to be a leader in the food category, the promotional industry, we need to do a handful of things. We need to make investments to diversify our company. Um, so that's why we did, you know, for example, the Taylor and Grant deal, which got us into the everyday business, mints, wrap, candy, yeah. you know, et cetera. By the way, sorry to interrupt, Lance, but the, this is a vital lesson for us as distributors, too, because we saw in the previous decade or two, the mergers and acquisitions happening largely in the supplier world, a little bit in the distributor world. But now distributors are facing more and more mergers and acquisition opportunities as well. So that's why I think this is such a timely topic. Keep keep going on. I, I just I do know we have a lot of distributor owners that are listening to this and who are probably in the middle of considering deals or working toward partnerships too. But and the strategy, you know, for us and, and the way we act as a partner, as I mentioned, is we sat down with a piece of paper. We said, who do we want to be? So, so we sort of studied the distributor websites and learned a lot from some great <laughs> distributor websites. And we sort of the things that matter. And so the first thing is we had to build out the range of products. So we went from being an edible company to you know, a chocolate company to being a, a candy and then a mince and a snacks company. Once we had done that, um, we sort of said, okay, we need to continue to build out our production manufacturing capabilities. So we got involved in die cutting. We got involved in flex graphic printing. You know, et cetera, with the goal of basically being a one-stop shop in the edible space to our 
distributor partners obviously started bringing in brands and Lynn Godiva, Lynn Jelly Belly, et cetera. Once the company had grown um, to a certain size as a, you know, food in the food use category, you know, we were still only talking at 2% of the category. And, and the objective then, David and I, and, and sort of the, the management team sat around and said, okay, so how, how do we expand beyond, you know, 2% and how do we, how do we become more important to our distributor customers? And, and that's cut where the, Lanco acquisition came from the goal being to be more. So this is this is really about diversifying your own portfolio, and and this goes for distributors too. Yes, but but first having an area of expertise, right? So a distributor needs is known for X, whatever X might be for us. It was food, gifts, and confectionery, and and for our distributor partners, it may be you know X channel, X market, X specialty, you know whatever it might be. Um, so for us, it was food gifts. So we we first became known. For then we saw yeah. an opportunity to diversify the business because, frankly, Bobby, um, you know, we, I kind of, David, I kind of got sick of hearing from our distributors that, you know, when there was an opportunity, they went in a different direction. And I hated hearing that. When I got that email, we went in a different direction. I said, David, I can't. That's a terrible phrase, right? Yeah, a different direction. I said, have it our direction. So we, we, we sort of decided um, you know, to, to make ourselves more important to our distributor partners. We had to grow that through acquisition. And, and that's where, the Lanco investment came in. And then most recently, we've expanded our business in um, the apparel businesses through a handful of acquisitions and screen print embroidery um, business. The goal, all following the same trajectory, which is to be more and more important to our, our distributor partners, but kind of the core of that whole thing and the value that we play as a, as a you know, partner is, is sitting down with the entrepreneur, in this case, David, and saying, how do we continue to, to be more important to our distributor partners you know, who are the great distributor partners we, we, we can build around it and build our business together? What are their goals? What, what, you know, what are they trying to accomplish? And, and, and how do we help them you know, get better you know, in their own business? So you know, whether it's technology, whether it's product development, whether it's you know, kidding, whether it's you know, ways we can act as real resources um, in the categories we're in, you know, how do we help them, you know, our, our distributors, you know, you know, get what they need? And then ultimately that will make us you know, a, valuable, a valuable partner in the ecosystem. I love your macro viewpoint of the industry, but also how you keep bringing it back down to the customer, um, which I think is a, a beautiful visual that we can all learn from. But one of the interesting things about your experience and what you've done with all of the mergers and acquisitions and the, what you work on day in, day out, is you're also seeing in the industry these other macro trends like the private equity boom that we've seen over the past decade. I'm curious what your financial mind thinks of when you when you see this going on. What pros and cons have emerged from these investments that you can see that are impacting our industry? So, so I've sat on the side of the table where I was the private equity investor making the pitch. And I've sat now uh, in the seat of, of being the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial business owner competing with, with the private equity guys making the pitch. And so, uh, you know, I would say to you, look, the value proposition of, of private equity is obviously, number one, um, injecting capital into the category, which yeah. I think is a good thing. Because capital coming into the category will make the category a better category. So whether it's investments in technology, investments in combining you know, fragmented markets, investments in building better and more professional um, overall structures and, and, and teams, et cetera, um, it's, it, that's a good thing. The detriment to, to the sort of the, the private equity model in the category and the way that, that I think about it is, you know, a lot of times, you know, private equity works by the clock. So Day one, you make an investment and your IRR, your, your rate of return clock starts ticking. Yeah. And your goal 
is to realize you know the highest IRR and the highest cash on cash return as you can. Period. So that and business building may be coherent and maybe incoherent. Uh, uh, those are opposing forces, possibly. Yes, and so uh, I heard recently heard a great interview uh, with a guy named Martin Franklin who built Jordan Corp. And I'm sort of a student of the game, so I, you know, I, I love listening to business leaders. And so he had this construct of, of the difference between you know, entrepreneurial businesses, building businesses, and private equity. He sort of explained the difference between renters and owners. And, and I, I thought that's a great paradigm. So the way he explained it is you know, an owner is somebody who's there you know, for a long period of time, who's going to be in your corner, who's going to go through thick and thin and b- build the thing. For, for long-term term value. And that's kind of our perspective. Look, we're, we're, we're in this for the long haul. So when we look at acquisitions right now, I don't know when, like I said to you, the market's going to come back. I don't know what the time of that is, but I can promise you we'll be there in your corner, <laughs> you know, yeah. working through it. In the private equity space, once you make that investment, you're worried about your IRR clock. So it's a slightly different time period. And, and the, second, the second thing, um, that in the second paradigm is, is so he, he, you know, Martin called the private equity paradigm a renter, which is basically saying, you know, you own an asset for X period, and then at a certain point, now I know some funds are structured differently, but at a certain point, by and large, the industry needs to transact and, and move those assets in order to, to recycle the capital. And so I think that that's an interesting thing. And I think, you know, private equity can work well in making businesses better and, and more efficient, et cetera. And it can work poorly. And when people are in too much of a rush to smash some, a bunch of stuff together in fragmented industries and don't think through how to make those businesses long-term sustainable platforms. And I've seen it go well both ways. I've seen great businesses built in private equity um, where you're really thoughtful and you take a long-term approach and you're building teams and you're, you're building a great, a great company. And I've seen them things go less well when people are more focused on just, you know, throwing a bunch of stuff together, kind of, you know, assuming that one plus one will always equal more than one. It, it doesn't. One of the best lessons I kind of got early on in my private equity career was um, I worked for a guy named Dexter Payne, who runs one called Payne Partners, now called Payne Schwartz. And, and one of the things he taught me was, Lance, you, <laughs> you can't run a business in Excel, meaning just because you take $100 and it's earning X amount of money and you put together another $100 and it's earning X amount of money, one plus one does not always equal, you know, more than that. It, you have to, you have to work it. You got to bring the pieces together. You got to build a team. You got to build the culture. And, and sometimes, you know, sort of, I would say some, sometimes in, in private equity, people lose sight of that, but some, some private equity firms do it very well. And I'd say it's a, it's a mixed bag. How, how do you see private equity affecting the industry at large? How is this really impacting our business and our industry and margins and profitability and things like that? Yeah, I think the market, look, the classic private equity playbook is people look for fragmented markets where things can be combined to realize synergies and efficiencies. And the other thing underpinning the entire sort of private equity playbook, things like technology, think, you know, areas where you can see step functions for change. So for example, if you consolidate the market and then you invest in technology and you invest in certain resources, you can differentiate yourself from, from, from other platforms that don't have the capital to, to invest in those things. So, so, so I think that's where I see private equity driving things. I see private equity driving things to greater efficiencies, greater technology investments, you know, building scaled platforms. That, that's how I see it. Um, I think that, that's, that's, that, that for an industry 
um, is a good thing. It creates more and more sustainable businesses if it's if it's done right. As I mentioned, you know, if it's done rushed, where you're combining a bunch of stuff and and the integrations are not thought through properly, it, it it's not a good it's not a good movie. So uh, that's kind of kind of how I see it. Yeah. I'm fascinated by your journey and your experience and what you're doing day to day. Can you share with us what you've learned in your career about successful negotiations that you wished someone would have shared with you when you began? Sure. The first thing you know that I think about anytime we go into negotiation is <laughs> the lesson that, that I learned through class I took at uh, the Wharton School. Every negotiation is about what's the other person's Bad. Now, what's the other person's you know best alternative to negotiate you know negotiated agreement or basically what what's the other card the other individual has? And once you understand what somebody else's alternatives are, you kind of have your 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 head around what what you're negotiating about. So that's step one. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, sure. So a company that I'm looking at acquiring right now can either do a deal with us or they can do a deal with somebody else. And, and you have to understand you know what that alternative is. It's like it's you probably have the same thing in sales when you're looking at, at, at uh, you're presenting your company, and, and you have to articulate why you were the partner of choice. It's the same concept here. So, so, so what, what, what's their alternative to going with you, right? What, what's their alternative? And so the that, that's the first thing I, I look to identify. Once I understand that, then then my approach is sort of any sales pitch is is obviously you know, positioning ourselves to be the partner of choice, right? So. So we want to say, you know, what are the attributes of our company? Some of the things that we've talked about here. And once you kind of have set the tone for that and you kind of have framed it as to we bring, you know, resources, experience, passion, great partnership, et cetera. Once you have kind of the tone set, then 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 you get into the issues. And, and sort of what I like to do in negotiation is be, I don't like spending a ton of time, you know, in, in legal land. I'd rather just have the issues be talked about principle to principle and say, all right, these are the five or seven or 10 issues we have. Let's talk them out. And, and, and what do you think? What do I think? And then ultimately, you'll be happy on some things. I'll be happy on some things. And some things we'll, we'll just agree to disagree on. But, but at the end of the day, if you form the partnership the right way and you find the right people, <laughs> you're never going to have to look at that document again, ever, ever. Yeah, and so, right. so my, my, my goal is always to find folks that I, you know, I, I know and once we get into business with them, like I, I mentioned Dave before, he's been an unbelievable partner to us. But, you know, we, 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 we cut our original deal so long ago that, you know, I don't think any of us, either of us has ever looked back at, at that document. But, but I think the point is that the ethos was right and sort of the, the culture was right. And because that was right and the vision was right and the strategy was right and, and the way that we set it up was right, then, then the, the back and forth you know, that, that we had or we would have with any you know, prospective partner sort of w w was okay. And I think that's the goal. You have to realize that this is, at least for us, you know, we're looking for partners. So, so my goal is that this is, you know, this is not, I'm not looking to win a point over you or somebody else yeah, in right. the short term. I'm looking for a business partner. So there are certain things that are going to be important to you, certain things that are important to me. But ultimately, the most successful, you call the negotiation, but also the most successful deal structure is one that accomplishes the goals of both sides. So a partner may have certain objectives. We may have certain objectives. And together, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully work together to, to, to achieve those objectives, you know, first in sort of this sort of negotiated or legal context, and then ultimately to go out and execute it. But that's kind of, kind of how we think about it. 
I love that, Lance. This has been such a rich conversation, really has. Uh, we could actually record for another hour. <laughs> as you know, I think I had even a third more questions I was going to throw at you as well, but really appreciate you spending time with us today. I know you're in the middle of some really big uh, opportunities that are happening, and uh, thanks for carving time out of your schedule to do this. I hope we can visit again because I've got more questions, and I want to return to a few of these topics because you've hit on at least half a dozen, I think, that are at the verve and at the exciting apex of what's happening in our industry. So thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, absolutely, Bobby. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I admire what you guys do as a company. I, I look at, at your organization as a thought leader and, and somebody who's helping really elevate the game in the category. I admire it and I love it. So thank you. Thanks. I'm honored that you, you chose to spend some time with me as well. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Lance. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.